Shall we begin? Why not? Welcome to Frankie Sense and More. It's like she's got a whole lot of goodness for you with a little bit of sass. Frankie, did you just say... She sure did. Not to mention, along with... Whoops. Join us now as Frankie Picasso and her new co-host mix it up with authors, musicians, and interviews with world-changing people. Let's begin Okay, let's begin now, because it only makes sense. Well, hello there, and welcome to Frankie Sense and More. <laughs> this is so good. I just love it, because now uh, I'm visual, and I've got two guests here. Normally, I do it over the radio, and I don't even see them, but now I get to see them, and they're so beautiful, and it's wonderful. Uh, and you get to see them, too, so how cool is that? Uh, if you're new to Frankie Sense, you may not know that this show is actually loosely based and aligned to the United Nations Global Goals. In 2015, leaders from every country in the world agreed to 17 goals for a better world by 2030. Now, these goals have the power to end poverty, fight inequality, stop climate change. Uh, guided by the goals, it's now up to all of us governments, business, civil society, and the general public to work together to build a better future for everyone. And my guests today are doing just that. They're both social impact entrepreneurs or socialpreneurs. They're both authors, radio hosts, and as a bonus in this unplanned coincidence, if you believe in coincidences, uh, they both belong to the Evolutionary Business Council, which means they both are heart-centered leaders, passionate about global change, and their communities. And I know that's true. <laughs> I'm going to start with Catherine. Raise your hand. <laughs> Catherine Guiley has spent more than 25 years in the business and nonprofit management world as a coach, executive director, management consultant, and CEO. She is an award-winning author of six books, which have won 10 awards, and she's currently working on her seventh. Catherine loves to speak about positive psychology, leadership, publishing, wellness, and entrepreneurship. She's the founder of The Nonprofit Nurture, an organization that provides nutrition, education, and support in both Spanish and English to over tens of thousands of children, parents, and today she's the CEO for the Ketchum Innovation Center in Sun Valley, Idaho. And she serves those that seek transformational growth all over the world. And there's so much more to say about her, but we're going to talk to her and let her tell us herself. Beth Bell, way Beth, she is the flower whisperer. She's an author, international entrepreneur, photographer, radio host, and TV personality whose passion for photographing flowers opened up something unexpected in her and literally changed her world. <laughs> Beth found she has a gift for channeling messages through Mother Nature. It's a bold move she made, but she left her 15-year career in corporate. She traded in her high heels for flip-flops. The rice fields of Bali is where she makes her new home, and she is on a new mission, pollinating the planet with love. I love that. In 2014, she opened the first retail store for Blossom Bliss Bali, and it's a line of products that are infused with love and the blessing of Balinese artisans from the villages near, I guess, I think it's Ubud, is that correct? And today, she has a new philanthropic project, I love this, that her company is supporting to assist Bali in their time of crisis due to their active volcano. And we're going to hear more about this and everything else in just a moment from these two ladies. And I just want to let them know that there's no rules. I'm going to talk to each of you. And if you have questions for one another, feel free to jump in and ask. <laughs> I'm very excited, Catherine, 
um, with your nurture. And I'm going to tell you, the folks here, that something very special happened to you. You moved from Chicago to Sun Valley, Idaho, and <laughs> you decided to enter a contest at the White House. Tell us about that. Oh, this is such a fun story. So we remember the Obama years and with Michelle, you know, Michelle Obama, I hope she's our next female president because she's one of my biggest inspirations and truly to meet her in person, to have lunch with her, to have a, a private audience with her was a highlight of my life. So mm -hmm. I'll tell you how we got there. So this was when I was knee deep in nurture and working with, with children and families and in food pantries and really working to bring healthy eating to all families all languages, and really all economic statuses. Because I think that people think that to be healthy, to have a healthy diet, that you need to spend a fortune. And so one of the things that we at Nurture really worked to overcome were the obstacles to healthy eating, both budget and time. And so we did that through a series of cooking events and giving and gifting slow cookers and rice cookers to families and oh. teaching them how to make um, really healthy, inexpensive food that actually tastes delicious. And one of the things that we got involved with is food in the school system because, you know, today a lot of the kids that are eating their lunches and sometimes their breakfasts, they're eating frozen foods, they're, they're eating processed foods, and it really comes down to cost. So one of Michelle Obama's initiatives, it was called Let's Move, and it had a lot of different branches to it. But she really wanted to get kids in the kitchen and she wanted to create recipes that were delicious, that were kid approved and that could potentially be served in schools and would therefore meet the budget requirements. So my daughter and I, we were you know, with all of our experience with nurture, we said, okay, we can do this. So we started experimenting with whole grains. We, we, we used quinoa and brown rice. We added salsa. We had cilantro. We had beans. So really great, um, so, uh, healthy plant sources of protein and cottage cheese was like the magic ingredient. We mixed it all together. We baked it and it's a total hit. I'm happy to share the recipe. Yeah. Actually with, with you, Frankie and, and your guests and our audience today, because it, I, I've never met somebody that doesn't like this dish. It's called Fiesta casserole. So when I heard that Michelle Obama was doing this contest and that she was going to pick one recipe per state, thousands and thousands and thousands of recipes were submitted. And we were so excited when we got that note this one day that we were one of the finalists. So they picked three per state and then the Department of Education and Epicurious and all chefs of all uh, walks and talks came and they made all of these recipes and they tasted it and selected one winner per state. So we were flown out to the White House and we stayed for several days and we met the president. But we also, and most importantly, met the other ambassadors and, and Michelle Obama asked us to go back to our communities. She had given us so much in those days that we had there and the, and the beautiful reception and state dining room. She says, we've given you so much and it was true. And so in return, we, we want you to go back to your communities and be the feet on the street that are going to carry the messages to your community about healthy eating. And my daughter and I have taken that so very seriously. Uh, we were actually at a, a school yesterday and we served just yesterday the fiesta casserole recipe to uh to an elementary school here in sun valley and the kids loved it so that's my story and that's it was a exciting. highlight 
You know, I think it's interesting uh, to note that sometimes parents think children aren't going to like different foods or or foods that have cilantro or bulgur or, you know, different things in it. And yet they do. Given the experience and the opportunity, they will try and and like things that parents just, oh, I don't like it, so they're not going to like it, you know, kind of. Well, Michelle Obama was very smart in, in knowing that if the kids had choice and they had a role in creating the recipes, that they would actually eat them. And so when I mentioned the state dining room lunch, they served the recipes that the kids all made. And so I, I looked around the table that I was sitting at and there were kids from all different states all across the country and they were just gobbling up this beautiful, healthy food. And it was because they felt that they had choice, that they had a role in it. And I think that that's just the most important lesson for any parents listening is that it's really about education and choice for kids and getting them involved. Everything from shopping to planning to actual preparation. And believe me, that with each step of the way is the more involved, right. even growing your own food and the kids harvesting it. Yeah. It makes, it makes it all um, so much more likely for them to, to, to be part of the meal and enjoy it instead of going, mm, I'm not going to try that. I know that you're certified as a nutritionist now. Isn't that correct? That's so, true. Um, yes. And I don't know. I mean, I see this on, te- on television and I don't know if it's real or not real, but because my kids are grown now, but, I think kids are really body conscious and they're worried about their weight and they're worried about the foods that they put in. And, you know, is there a problem or is it okay? Like where, where are they in terms of um, over, over worrying about, you know, I'm saying where I'm going with this over worrying about their image or, or, you know, just eating healthy and, and wanting to have that in their homes. And, and that's why I think your work, Frankie is so important because it's positive media because some of what, the kids, and especially girls, um, some of what they're, they're, these eating disorders are actually coming from the media and the polished look and the perfectionism and then the being so hard on yourself. So one of the things that I emphasize and the whole nurture program emphasizes is no shame. And in fact, we never call any food bad. I don't even really talk about food as being junk food or anything. I don't want to be um, pejorative about, about food. I, I don't want to create any shame or bad feelings. And in fact, when I do nutrition lessons, I usually invite people to come to a cooking class. And I just do my nutrition education disguised as a cooking class. Nice. And what we do with kids is we talk about foods as being either go foods the foods that give you energy and you make you run faster because these are the things that kids care yeah. about. Yeah. Um, they help them perform on tests and, and do well in school. And then we talk about slow or slow down foods. And these are the foods that eat, when you eat too much of them, you might get that initial like sugar high, but then, you know, you feel kind of sluggish and you can't run so fast and you don't do well in your tests. And truly, if I were to go into a classroom, which like I say, I do all the time. And I was just in one yesterday. If I were to talk about cardiovascular disease or cancer or, or this is bad and don't eat that or don't drink that, the kids would completely shut me out. And so it's, and that's important again for, for listeners is it's important the way that you talk about things and the messages that you give it. As soon as you start to judge and create shame, right. you're creating a barrier and it's very difficult to educate anyone through a barrier. So I always keep that very open and talk about foods and the kid, the kids love that. I, I, this was the, the, I just had visited with the kids of the previous month. And so I said, do you guys remember what go food? 
foods are? And they're like, yeah, broccoli and protein and beans and nuts. And I said, do you guys remember what slow foods are? And they're like, yeah, you know, Lucky Charms and candy and cookies and 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 so, you know, we're not, we're not saying these things are bad. We're just kind of talking about them and saying, these are choices that you make. And a lot of the kids in the class, they're athletes. We're in Sun Valley. A lot of them are skiers and they, so yeah, they really do care. But we, we, where you were going with the body image, you, you want to be careful not to say that this is bad, that this is shameful or that this is something like that you absolutely can't have because when something is, is taboo, then it becomes very intriguing and yeah, very enticing. Yeah. And so I very much avoid that. I'm, I'm cautious. Beth, your diet must be very different moving from the U.S. to Bali. It's totally different. And I have to say, oh, Catherine, I so hope you can come to Bali because we have uh, the green school. John Hardy started this amazing school and they grow all of their own food at the school. Um, they're completely eco-friendly. And the children, they learn so much about where food comes from. And even myself, I mean, you know, I'm not vegetarian, but as I see the chickens, like everything is literally farm to table. And when I see chickens being transported and I see pigs being transported, it just, it shifts things. And when you see things growing and you're part of the process, it's, it's um, really an amazing shift, I think, of the relationship that you have with food. So I love how you're communicating to kids because, yeah, it's just a different, a different way of thinking about food and in a positive way. So I love that. So do you have rice at every meal? Like I know that in Thailand, rice is a breakfast food. You know, they have the... Yeah, well, it is. I don't necessarily have rice at every meal, but, um, and I'm also gluten-free, so it's really helpful for me because there's less spreads and things, but, you know, it's very westernized in many respects. And so we have sort of all of the the normal foods here that we would probably have in the West, but um, yeah. What's a typical Balinese meal though? What would that look like? Um, rice and vegetables is probably the most typical because it's the cheapest as well. Um, you know, protein is more expensive. So, but yeah, or a a chicken saute with a peanut sauce is, Mm. is super popular. Um, yeah, their food is, is good. It's, it's, it's basic, but, um, and we're trying to help educate them on, on cooking oils because we have so much incredible coconut oil and the coconut oil is so great. In fact, even just to make popcorn, um, coconut oil is so much better than, than the corn oil. So there are some dietary things that I think that they could change to make their already healthy food supply, you know, better prepared. But yeah, it's, it's a, it's a great place to have. And, and there's so much awareness, especially in Ubud around eating and raw foods and an energy that you get from raw foods versus I like your slow foods. Um, I like that yeah, way of yeah. speaking. And so yeah. it's re- honestly, it's really hard for me when I leave Bali because of the food. Um, I come back to the restaurants in, in the U S and everything's so processed. It's full of preservatives. And so I commend you Catherine for what you're doing with the schools, because it is such a, I mean, to think that these little bodies are getting all this crap food, um, wait, well, we're not supposed to say that slow foods, um, foods that don't optimize their, their bodies at such a young age that it's, it seems like it should be like the top of everyone's list because they're our future. But yeah, so I'm glad to hear that you're doing all that you're doing for that. Beth, you got to tell us about these flowers. <laughs> tell, us, yeah. tell us your experience with these flowers. When did you start well, photographing them? In 2005, I just happened to buy a really nice camera and I just happened to go on vacation in Hawaii. And it was in the middle of like my super chaotic corporate career. And I wasn't meditating. Like I I knew that I should be meditating, but I just, you know, I didn't have time to meditate. And I started taking photographs of flowers really up close because this camera that I bought could focus in. 
And I just became mesmerized by the whole experience. And I just found that my mind was quieting and I kept taking photographs. I mean, I would stand there for so long and take photographs and, um, I just was having an experience, but I didn't really know that at the time. I just, I just enjoyed doing it. And so then I started carrying my camera everywhere I went on, on, on even work trips and things, um, and just kept taking photographs. And then over time, I realized that I was actually getting messages. I, I like to call them just drop-ins, like uh, thought forms would come to me. And so I realized, oh, okay, there's like more of a relationship that I'm having with the flowers. And then the flowers inspired me to create all the products that I've created. And, and then ultimately, um, you know, I moved, I left my corporate life. I was living in Singapore and, and moved to Bali. And that's where everything kind of went on. I don't know, steroids as far as me and the flowers. Cause I, every day when I walk outside here in Bali, there's flowers at my feet, just everywhere I go. And, you know, sort of like Hawaii, you'll see, you know, even the men, I love it. They all have little flowers behind their ears. And so the flowers are very much a part of my life. Um, especially here in Bali, but yeah, I, I still love to photograph them. I, I love interacting and getting messages with them. And, yeah, and that's all transformed in many different ways. So, but you say that you, you became a channel for the flowers. So what are the flowers saying? What are they telling you? Us. Well, yeah, well, each one has a different message and, and it can have a different message at different times. But, um, you know, I think th there's four life lessons that I learned from flowers and I wrote a book and it's called flower power for pure love. Right. And, um, I can, I'm happy to share if you want to know the four life. I'd love lessons. to know that. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Well, one is let love live. So we're always looking for love outside of ourselves. And it's about really just understanding our own self-love and, and letting love live in our lives. Um, details derail. So we're always analyzing. I am thinking, thinking, thinking. And the flowers really talk about just going with the flow. Um, and then it's a, appreciate everything, which I think is, is, a, great, is a great one because we know that gratefulness is what helps us manifest everything, right? And then expect nothing. And that one I think is still like the hardest. But because we have if then think we're programmed to be very logical in our in our but when we're working with the universe and we're working with energy, we really can't expect something. We have to, you know, put our vision out there and let the universe align it for us. So that's a very, very short way of saying those four life lessons. But um, yeah, they just it's really about about flowing and being in your flow, right? So you're, it's still active. It's not a passive thing that right. we do, but it's, it's active and it's about with the flowers, um, with mother nature. And I think just harnessing the energy of mother nature, which, you know, just to make the link back to you, Catherine, it's, it's about energy that comes from plants. Um, and I'll tell one funny story. I was, cause I have a radio show as well. And, and I was interviewing a guest who is a flower alchemist and um, and she was talking about how, cause I can't really access her products here in Bali. And so she was talking about how the shamans, um, years ago would go and, and sip the dew off of flowers. So I'm, I, I'm also known now as a flower sipper. Yeah. <laughs> I still, sometimes before I, the, 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 the moisture off the, the leaf of the flower, I'll look around. <laughs> Is anybody looking Who's at looking? me? Looking? Um, but in Ubu, I'm sure nobody would care there. We're, we're all sort of in the same in the same boat, but yeah, so it, it is like really having that connection with the energy coming from the flower. Um, and the same with the bees, so like why do bees go to flowers? You know, I thought, well, the smell, the, the color and no, actually it's, it's the energy, the vibration that a flower is giving off that says I'm ready to be pollinated. And the bee actually gets the vibration through the hairs on its leg. So it's all interconnected. We know that we know we're connected to source energy. 
Um, but the flowers for me have just been this incredible divine portal that have helped me understand so much about energy, but also just about life and how to live it and how to be in the flow of love in the universe. Well, at first I love, you know, I love that whole expression. And I love, I love the idea of pollinating the world with love because I think that, you know, something that we really need to do. The other thing I, I really love about what you, the products that you have created, and I want to talk about them a little bit, um, but the fact that, that you were reminding us and that, you know, we need to save the bees. And that is like a really important thing that everybody in the world has to do because, man, without the bees, like we really are um, limited and, and at a great loss right? Yeah. Uh, if they're not pollinating, we're not eating probably, you know, that's exactly. where it's going to end up. And, you know, the same yeah. that happened with the butterflies and the, the monarchs to Mexico. I mean, we're, we're losing um, rapidly some beautiful things in this world and it's our fault. And you know what, this yeah. isn't the legacy I want to leave. And I'm, I know that neither of you want to leave that either. So it's kind of important. The one, the, the, there is a synergy that, that the two of you have also, and that's with the mantras. Cause in your jewelry, you have mantras. Um, and Catherine, in your book with the mountains, you have mantras. <laughs> you've got, I guess you got mountains in Bali too, really, but you got the ocean and the mountains and, and you've got the mountains in Idaho. Um, but mantras are important. What did, what did they, whoever wants to go, what are, what's important to, about a mantra and what's your favorite or does it change over time? Well, I, I can just jump in because there's another synergy and she and Beth was just talking about the flowers and the energy and the vibration. And I have to say, you know, so one of the things that is so effective with kids and we'll get to mantras and maybe this is a mantra and that is to eat a rainbow. Yeah. And I always, I tell the kids because again, sometimes I work with like really little ones and, and you know, they can only do a few things in the kitchen. You certainly don't want to have, you know, a four-year-old with, with a knife if you're in a group. <laughs> um, but we, you know, but they can, they can snip, um, you know, herbs in a, in a cup, they can snip it and, and then the fragrances come off and, and then they can get really involved. But what I talk about with a rainbow and maybe that's the mantra I'd love to, to connect all this with is that every color of the rainbow actually helps your body and, and mother nature, just the way that she creates the flowers and she creates the bees that spread the love or spread the, the energy, the, the colors were created and we're, they're created to attract us. And we're not just supposed to be attracted to red, which happens to be very good for our cardiovascular system. Right. We're not supposed to be just attracted to blue, which is, you know, heavy with antioxidants and, you know, anti-cancerous agents. And we're not just supposed to be attracted to orange and yellow, which is good for our immunity um, system and our skin and hair and things like that that. So what I tell the kids, and again, they don't care about vitamin A and C and vitamin D and Rick. It's like that. That's just not on their radar screen, but rainbows are so easy to communicate. And again, it's about the energy and then the food and the fresher the food, yeah. the better. So it's funny, Beth, because I, I wrote a book called Give It a Go, Eat a Rainbow for Kids. And then I started to go around the country and um, I'm a big fan of Alice Waters, who's part of that whole farm to table movement. And I actually uh, I went and I did a program with um, Chef Ann Cooper, who's in Boulder, and she's done some incredible work with gardens and getting freshly prepared foods in front of the kids at school. And um, so I did an, a rainbow event with them. And, and I noticed from some of the kids, because again, it's about energy and the fact that, that flowers and, and, and foods that we eat, if they're fresh, they do have energy. Um, and the colors that we get from artificial colors 
have no energy and they're very damaging. They're actually neurotoxins. Mm -hmm. So I, there was this, there's this little uh, aha moment that I had where I was teaching kids to eat a rainbow, but then some of these little sneaky kids uh, would say, well, I'm going to get mine in the form of Skittles and Lucky Charms. (laughs) And I went, oh no. So the sequel to the book is how a rain, where does a rainbow grow is what it's called. And it's it comes from Mother Earth, and it's about plant identification. So instead of just walking through the colors, it's about what does a strawberry look like on the plant? What yeah. does a raspberry look like on the plant? And I think just getting kids exposed to that and, and, and understanding it, and they can, they can feel just like a bee. They can feel that that's the energy that they get, which you certainly don't get from the artificial uh, ingredients. So, um, so I guess that would be my mantra would be to eat a rainbow. You know, kids are, are, are so excited by, by farms and animals and plants and where things come from. I didn't, I mean, talk about, I didn't know that avocados grew on a tree. Like I just saw this in Mexico and I'm like, oh my God, they actually grow on a tree. For some reason, I don't know. I thought it was a plant came out of the ground and, you know, uh, but it's interesting. Like, you know, where are all these things and how they grow and, and, and sometimes you look at things like, like a coconut even, and you go, why would somebody open that? Like, what would make them open that and go, <laughs> you know, like, there's a lot of, in, in, in the dragon fruit and, and all these really interesting things that, you know, could be toxic, maybe not, but people eat and it, it's very interesting. But talk about flowers. There's a, a lot of the chefs now are cooking or, you know, presenting meals with edible flowers. Do they do that? Yeah, no. They do. They do. And I, I have a hard time eating them sometimes, but now I've, I've, I've shifted my mindset around it. And because of the relationship that I have, it's okay to eat them because they're, they, they want you to, you know, just like a plant. Be nourished. Want to, yeah. To be nourished. We know that it's the cycle of life. So yeah. Um, flowers are, are great. Um, I think one of the mantras that, that I really love, I mean, there's so many, and I do these little mini mantra word bar necklaces. And one of them is live life in love with everything bliss. And it was very much inspired by the Balinese and speaking of food and kids being curious about where it comes from. Oh, we just, she'll come back in a minute. Oh, it's, she's so far away. I'm so glad she answered that whole thing about can she eat flowers because I was so concerned. I was sitting here thinking, I love Please nasturtiums and salad. Questions. No, ask- <laughs> Or or like a squash blossom. Oh yeah, they're beautiful and they're delicious, aren't they? And and her necklaces are three D, which you know, because each side has a has a saying on it, which is really beautiful. I hope she can come back. But you, um, when she comes back, we'll talk to her. But you also have um, talk about making things fun. You you have make everything fun. (laughs) That's that's your new project. Make everything fun. We we have you know, and it's funny all fun all the time. <laughs> I, I know. And I don't expect people to have fun when they're, um, I mean, I'm just looking out right now. We have all the snow and there's somebody over there that looks like they're not having very much fun shoveling snow. Yes. So I'm not saying everything has to be fun, but the things that you spend a lot of time on. So there are sort of four pillars that I have under make everything fun. One is publishing. One is wellness one is nutrition and one is entrepreneurship. So it's make nutrition fun, make wellness fun, make entrepreneurship fun because in publishing, these are things that you're going to spend a lot of time on. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I deal a lot myself with, uh, with burnout or I have in the past and I've worked with a lot of entrepreneurs that have burnout and, and certainly people that, you know, are trying 
diets and and then that's the yo-yo thing. And so if the way I look at it is if you're going to spend time, a significant amount of time on any one thing, you really need to make that thing fun. It's the only way to avoid burnout. Yeah, no kidding. So the 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 four pillars, do they come from the things that you enjoy doing? Is that where they come from or, the, or the, what most of your clients enjoy doing? That's so funny because I used to be, okay, so I was a, a management consultant. I was in business for many, many years, rose through the ranks of consultant to senior consultant to unit manager and finally principal. And that was probably the the most burned out I ever felt in life. So to me, I love, I love entrepreneurship, but then I went into that direction of nurture and wellness and nutrition. So those were sort of my passions, but I will tell you that the publishing, the publishing thing is something that I like, but I'm understanding from so many people that I work with, my clients, my, my contacts at the Ketchum Innovation Center, people that I, I encounter, 80% of the population supposedly wants to write a book. And so that is a really important piece of the market. And, and I've heard so many sad stories about people having really difficult or very painful experiences in the publishing journey, whether that's signing a contract that didn't work out. Too much or, money. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I actually, I, I had a, a woman who was in a mastermind with me and she had declared bankruptcy because she kept throwing more and more money after this book project. So being, you know, light workers like we are, I, I sort of said, okay, I'm going to take this and I'm going to apply my management consulting experience to this. And I'm going to figure out where, where are the pains coming from and hopefully allow people to avoid those pain points. So then I started make publishing fun and there's a ton of free resources at that site. And I did a survey, which is free. We can give it to your listeners through a link. And I, 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 I surveyed people in the traditional publishing industry. So people authors that had published traditionally and then those that had self published and then those that had done the hybrid model, which is really more of a publishing services model. Yeah. And um, I, I surveyed them about everything from their happiness factor to costs. How much did they spend? How many books did they, they sell? And you know, it, it was a, it was a really um, in-depth undertaking, but I learned so much and I, and I give these results away to people so that they can avoid the mistakes. Interestingly, the happiest group was the self-published group. Yeah. I, I'm not surprised by that, really. There she is. We're just talking about self-publishing versus publishing. Did you self-publish your book or did you find a publisher? Beth? Okay. Wait, I'm back. You, you are back. Me? Yeah. Yay. And, a, and a big coconut just fell out of my tree in the background. So, um, Sorry, you were asking me if I self-published? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I did. Um, I, I felt like it was probably the, the best way, and I, I haven't actually officially launched it in the United States, but I plan to do that in the springtime. But it is available on Amazon. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I did the hybrid, the first one. Um, and then the, the second and third, um, I self-published. And really, and I can see why you went with that, Catherine, because it is happier. People... You know, when you self-publish, they don't. I don't know if they realize that you, that you can still be picked up by by a traditional publisher if you sell enough or people get interested in it. But why wait for somebody to go? Yeah, it's great. They get so many manuscripts. Like you know, it's one in a million that are going to really pass over somebody's desk and go. Like I know people right now who are waiting for someone to say, "Hey, I'll give you you know fifty thousand dollars. Give me your give me your thing." You know what? Few and far between. <laughs> so self-publish it. Get your book out there. 
get your word out there. And at least if you're speaking, you've got a book at the back of the room. You've got something to give people and it gives you some credibility, right? Absolutely. And, and I've been through the different models as well. I've been through the traditional. I haven't really done the hybrid model as much, but um, I, I have sort of a whole stable of people that I rely on. I mean, self-publishing is anything but self. You know, you, you need a whole team. You need your editors. You might need multi-level editors. You need your proofreaders. You need your interior designers. You need your cover designers. I mean, it really is, it's, it, it can't, like, I, I really think it should be fun. Yeah. So you work with, you find the people that you love, that you connect with, that help you, that lift you up. And it can be such, a, I actually think the process of, of writing can be so healing. And I'll, I'll quote uh, Michael Hyatt, who says that thoughts disentangle as they pass through lips and fingertips. So for so many people that I've coached and I've worked with and I've helped with their publishing journey, the process itself can be cathartic. It can be healing. It can be, it can be, it can be very helpful to crystallize complex ideas so that you can say, Oh my gosh, now I could do a course on this or workshops are so much easier. So I think people think about, Oh, the book is about being an author. It's actually about what happens after the book and how it changes your life and how you can change the world with a book. So I think you can really make publishing fun. I agree. And I agree with your statement about it being cathartic. I just finished an anthology with 21 women that I led through a very, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Intimate book. And every single one lit up professionally after they finished. It was like they had gotten rid of all the stuff that held them back in life. Gone. So important. So amazing. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And Beth, do you write the mantras on your necklaces? Are you the one that comes up with all of that? I do. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like it's a co-creation with the flowers. Um, but yeah, I do it. It's, it's a co-creation really with just whatever. Where you is, live. Is, yeah. And you know, what I was referring to just before I cut out was, was um, the rice field workers and just how beautiful, you know, the Balinese are and, and what empowered hearts they have. I mean, I thought I was coming to Bali to pass through for three months and get production and quality under control and then export everything to the U S and come back to the U S and then, the magic of Bali just drew me in. So it really is um, the Balinese that drive me to, to make these necklaces because they put an infused love into each piece. And so that was really important to me when I was looking for a place to, to actually make the pieces. But yeah, I, I do the, the mantras and, um, and then I work really closely with our, our Balinese um, artisans. artisans. And, and I'm interested with the artisans that you work with. Are these um, historically like, like they're fa- like, their fathers of the father of the father were silver workers or? Well, that's a great question. Um, it's a father son team. I don't know about the father's father. So I'm not sure, but I will ask that because now I'm curious, but um, the father is actually really well known in his village as a healer and people come to their temple. Oh, nice. Healing. So yeah. Um, and they employ women within their village. And so it's just a really nice, um, a nice place because it's not even a manufacturing center because Bali is known for its silver, and I don't even do it at a big manufacturing center. The necklaces are literally done in, in family compounds in a small little village um, near Ubud here. I love that. And so as a healer, it, 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 are they praying over this before they start or as they're doing it to infuse it, or are you infusing it? Who's doing the infusing? Yeah, you know, you're, you're making me think I really want to um, – I have to put this out on Facebook, but one day I was sitting with my, uh, with my guy and, and we were going to do a, a larger order that we were sending out. And I said, now don't forget to bless the bars. And he just looked at me and he said, Beth, 
every day. I work on the, the, the necklaces. He said, I pray, I pray for, for good thinking, for, for good energy, for, for customer to be happy. And I was like, oh my goodness. And I said, one second, I hit record on my phone. And you know, he just, like, he just said everything that I, yeah, every reason why I'm here. And I just thought, wow, I couldn't have scripted that. Um, so he, he, every day, every day, he says, I pray for your business every day. Um, I, I pray to the gods for, for good for everyone for, it's just amazing. I mean, they're just so community oriented and, um, and maybe if I can jump in and just talk about sort of the sad part of that right now, because, um, I know you have mountains of Catherine, but we have, um, a massive mountain, which is a volcano and it became active in September. Now, um, the media has, you know, as they normally do, and it's sort of their job, created a lot of drama around the volcano. And we did think that it might have a mass eruption. And with, with this type of volcano, it's like a Mount St. Helens volcano. And so it does have potential to be quite devastating, um, but it also has potential to never actually erupt in any massive way. It's had some small little eruptions and um, the media has just created havoc with it. And we have zero tourism almost. I shouldn't say zero. There's, there's, it's come back a little bit and it's slowly, slowly, but um, yeah, it's created a lot of fear. And what's so hard is that the energy from this volcano is so incredibly transformational. I mean, there couldn't be a better time in many respects to come here. Um, I can't sit here and tell you that it's safe, but then I go, well, what's safe? You know, is being in Southern California with wildfires and mudslides, is being in, you know, a concert in Las Vegas, um, is being in a small church in Texas, is being in a Christmas market in Berlin when a truck drives, you know, what is safe? And, And I think one of the things we can do here is prepare. So we, we do have face masks and we do have, you know, if, if in fact it should go off, but what's happening is because of this, um, I feel like, especially as a Westerner living here, we've done so much to bring tourism to their, to their, to their Island really. I mean, whether, I mean, for me, eat, pray, love is, is, you know, has catapulted a ton of Americans to come here, which is not necessarily bad, but it, it's definitely taken a lot from the Island and it's made the Balinese respond to tourism. So what have they done? They've built their entire financial foundation based on tourism. So now that the floor has fallen out, um, people don't have jobs. People are getting laid off. I mean, their salaries are 150 to $200 a month. So if they're getting half time, um, you know, what can you do with half of that? Um, they're not really in a mentality of saving money here. So, um, it's, it's, it's interesting. There's this incredibly blissful transformational time and yet we're going through mass chaos and we've had no eruption. Um, mass chaos, just in the sense of, um, financial, right. That the floor has really fallen out of tour. So I really wanted to see what could I do to give back. And then, and yoga one day, which has this incredible view of a volcano, which is fabulous in and of itself to connect um, through yoga and and the energy, the two words, gratefulness and compassion came to me. And afterwards I said, okay, what can I do? I have a business. I employ Balinese and I want to give back more. And so I'm doing a heartfelt philanthropic campaign to give money back to the Balinese. We want to give 15 million back but we also have a sales goal of a thousand by the end of January. And so we're putting the message out to help us to reach our goal and to help give money back. And I hope to continue to just give money back and give money back. So it's sort of a two, a two way thing. It employs my 
I mean, if you could see when I give him an order, he's just like, thank you for my, thank you for the job. Thank you for the job. So grateful. So, you know, heartfelt. And so I want to continue. Um, yeah, I want to continue to run my business here in Bali and continue to give them jobs, but also um, give more money back because there's some really incredible nonprofits, Bumi Sihat, um, Kopernik that are helping the the Balinese, but also the evacuees. We had over 70,000 evacuees, and I think they've got the number down to about 50 now. So so there's just a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of interesting times right now, transformational, and, um, you know, it, everything happens in divine timing. So I think there is, you know, karma, and things will sort of adjust. And so in many ways, there's a positive side of this that will bring some balance back. But, boy, right now in the, in the, in the middle of it all, when people are really struggling to – put food on the table and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough time here. It's really great that you're talking about that because I think, you know, we, as Westerners, we, we tend to live a very um, blessed life here and we don't always remember the people, you know, because we, you don't, if people aren't with you, you don't always think about them, but um, you know, just how little other people live on and really, you know, and, and what it takes to work with your hands and to uh, not be employed by a big company and, and not have a regular paycheck and not know where your next meal is coming from. And, and, and please under the video on Facebook, put, put the necklaces, put the, uh, a link to them because they're beautiful. I, I love it. And I think they're beautiful and they have so many uh, different purposes and who wouldn't want it. And you've also got a, a gorgeous uh, kit that, that yeah. comes with, you know, a candle and, and incense so that if you want to, do you, uh, do you have one there? You can hold that. I'm happy, I'm happy to show you. So it's, it's called the Personal Intention Activation Ceremony Kit. So the Balinese are all about ceremonies. So I've definitely um, taken that on from them. And ceremony is just important. You're not going to be able to read this. So I'm going to tell you what it says. But there's three steps to the process. It's set, say, and see your intention. So we know intentions are very, very important. The little kit, I try not to dump everything out. Uh, <laughs> Beautiful candle. Yeah, it has a, a, a incense holder and then there's some incense. And so what you do is you light the incense and then you start journaling what makes me happy. And I cannot tell you how many people cannot write freely what makes them happy. They are very confused on that. So you start writing what makes me happy. You come up with one to two words that you want to set as your intention. We have these beautiful candles. This is a little lotus flower candle. And then on the bottom of the candle, you write what your intention is. So my intention Love that. So then you burn it. Then you say your intention along with your mantra, whichever mini mantra word of our necklace that you've chosen. So you say it three times or more, and then you see it in your mind's eye or your imagination as though it's already blossomed, and then you let the universe do the rest. And so you've uh, infused your intention into your mini mantra word bar necklace, and it's really just a, an incredibly helpful symbol to um, to wear the high vibrational words close to your heart, but also to just bring it back every day. You don't have to do the ceremony every day. You can do this if you want you can refresh and do it once a week or once a month but it really does hold the vibration of not only the Balinese energy and the Balinese bliss but you know whatever your intention is um with the universe so it's a really it's a fun gift too and surprisingly I found so many men are buying this so um they're very cool they're 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 understanding that they can get Oh, she froze on us again. However, I wanted to, oh, no, there you are. But I wanted to say that um, on the, I think it's January 29th and January 30th with the super moon, which is the first that we've had in 150 years, 
This is the time to release the things you don't want in your life. And as it wanes and it's, you know, it's coming back, do your intention because that's the time when the moon will help you get the things that you want to bring into your life. So what a very special time we're coming into right now. And perfect for yeah. uh, you to sell as many as you can, as many kits before the end of the month uh, to give to, you know, the Balinese to tourism and, uh, you know, because of the volcano. And so very exciting. Um, yeah. yeah. Catherine, you, you sit on many boards. <laughs> you are, it's not just the nurture. I mean, you are really involved in community service as is, is, is Beth. Tell us a little bit about some of the other um organizations you you sit with well I've always been involved with hunger relief and so in Chicago actually that's how nurture was born I was a volunteer at the local food pantry Hmm, sorry I said that's right you were from Chicago originally yes yes and so and I'm also involved with the the local food relief uh program here um, but so the, so nurture was born because I was, I was one of the very few people that was doing the food distributions that spoke Spanish. And so when the Hispanic families would come in, they would talk to me and I would ask them how they were doing. And most of the time I heard that they were very tired and that some chronic disease issues were, were starting to come up. And then I looked down into the bags that we were giving them and I thought to myself, this isn't helping. You know, by giving processed food, canned food, expired food. Yeah. You know, I remember there was a, a big grocery store chain in Chicago, and their their uh, frozen uh, their frozen mechanical stuff kind of went on the fritz, and so so they gave all their leftover frozen stuff. And so, remember that was a big. It was like you know, giving away lots of you know processed frozen pizzas and things like that. So. I think a lot of times there's there's two really important reasons. There's many important reasons, but I'll talk about two important reasons. One, uh, to get involved and to help others. One is that just the act of doing things for other people and helping other people. I mean, we all believe in karma, and that's very cool. And there have been studies shown that you live longer and you have a higher happiness set point if you volunteer. So it's something that... I think everybody should do. But the second thing is that by actually being in the the field, um, to so to say, and, and, and understanding. So Beth, she's right there with the community. She can see the need. When you sit back and you don't get involved, you don't understand what the pain in the world is. Yeah. And then you therefore don't have the ability to become an agent of change. And I know that the Evolutionary Business Council is, that's what we're all about. We're all yeah. agents of change. And most of us, come here because we have some exposure to the needs in the world. And so if we all were just, just to sit in an office or to be, you know, in a, you know, upscale suburban neighborhood that we never left, then we wouldn't understand the need. So I think that's another really important reason to get involved and to stay involved and to just find that passion that, um, that lights up when, pe- when you help others. I'm so glad you said that about the food bank because that is one of my pet peeves is, you know, I don't want them to have white bread and macaroni and cheese. And, you know, there has to be a fresh food bank. There has to be, you know, fresh vegetables. And I love that France last year, you know, went to the grocery stores are not allowed to throw away the produce. They have to give it away to, to the food banks. They have to give it away to the shelters. That's what we need to do here. And I've had a number of shows on food and 
ugly fruit, you know, the ugly fruit. I love ugly fruit and veg. Yeah. Jordan. Yeah. Jordan is awesome. Great. Yeah. A very funny stuff comes out of that. And you know what? Like, so what if it's ugly? Eat it. You know, and, and, and it's more fun. It's more fun. <laughs> what shapes do you, it's like looking at clouds, right? <laughs> well, exactly. To, to add something in here, this is an interesting note. You know, the Balinese, um, we as Westerners love to go to the, to the local food markets, right? Yeah. Where, the, where they literally bring everything. And they look at that as poor. So they think that going to the grocery store and buying stuff in plastic means that they are wealthy, rich, oh, right? Wow. And I just look at it and go, oh my goodness, what are we doing as Westerners to these islands? You know? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's crazy. I think the big food companies are doing an overly good job at marketing and that's too bad. I mean, that's the thing. I do teach a lesson about marketing and I teach kids that, you know, McDonald's and the whole fast food industry has so much money, billions of dollars to spend on advertising. And, and then I talk about farmers and I say, how much do you think farmers have to spend on advertising? And then the kids get really interested and, and, and the, and kids don't like to get tricked. They don't like to be fooled. So when I show them, you know, an ad, like we actually decipher them and I, and I say, what do you think that they're trying to get you to do? Let's look at this, you know, like, you know, the, the frosted cereal, this, that, and the, the eyes are swirling on the kids and they're like, wow, it's so manipulative. And then there's this really cute listeners can Google it. There's a really cute ad that a bunch of carrot farmers put on and it's called, um, extreme baby carrot ad. And you can just Google extreme or YouTube extreme, extreme baby carrot. I, I don't know exactly what the budget was, but it was not enough to get it on TV. However, they got it on YouTube and I show that to all the the kids and it's, it's fun and it's hip. And here's the great part. I always follow it up with, I serve, um, baby carrots after, and the kids, the teachers always say like, sometimes they'll show it every couple of weeks. Cause like there'll be like a big boom in carrot consumption carrot, yeah. right after. So, so marketing, marketing works and marketing does and work. The cent- and, and the center for science in the public interest has done something with, with beverages, with, with, uh, sh- with sugary beverages, with soda beverages, and they're trying to get people to drink water. Now, again, how much does water have as a budget coming water out of the tap? Doesn't really have a lot of a marketing budget behind it. But uh, the Center for Science and the Public Interest did a, a really fun campaign called Pour It Out, and it was promoting water and trying to get people to drink less soda. And I always show that ad, too, and listeners can just look it up. It's just Pour It Out, and um, it's a campaign by the Center for Science and the Public Interest. And when, when I show it to kids, they, like, leave the classroom, like, singing the song and stuff, and then they drink more water. That's really so good. I yeah. think it's about marketing. You know, I, I, talking about the farmers, my sister-in-law actually has a dairy farm in Idaho. And yeah. And you know, the milk, like milk is, is, um, they don't make a lot of money. You know, they overcharge the government over, doesn't want to pay farmers money. And it's, I don't understand. It's like, it's like babysitters to me. It's like, you're leaving somebody with your most precious cargo, right? And you don't want to pay them more than 25 cents? Are you kidding me? So the same with farmers. Like without the farmers, we have no food. It's a tough life. Who wants to go out there in the blizzard and feed the cows and do the thing? And, you know, very few people. So I don't understand why they are so underserved and underpaid. Like I don't get it. You know, I know. It's, it's a messed up 
it's messed up subsidies. One of my favorite farmers is Joel Salatine. I think they call him the lunatic farmer or something. <laughs> and he's, he's, he, he's all about, you know, the, like, like Beth was saying, you know, the chickens poop and they fertilize the soil and then they grow the stuff and then you compost that. And it's all this system. And so he, he's called the lunatic farmer, but what he's really doing is he's using age old effective, sustainable agricultural practices. And I just, I just love it. So Joel Salatine is one of my faves. You know, Beth, going back to the grocery store, I remember my, what my son, my oldest son used to say, what kind of chicken is that? Cause to him, it was all chicken, you know, the bees, it's all in a wrap. It's all plastic. What kind is that? Right. What, what, what kind am I eating? Yeah. You know, uh, that's yeah. beef chicken today. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, when they finally saw the animals, like, oh, I don't like that. You know, I don't want to eat that. Because then the connection comes, the real connection, and you get to think about food, right? When you see it yeah. grow, when you see the animal walk, when you see things, it, it's a different connection than plastic in a supermarket. Yes, absolutely. Why don't you give, Beth, why don't you give out your, your um, web address, and then, Catherine, we're going to get yours. I want to make sure everything's out there for you, ladies. Yeah, well, you can go to blossomblissbolly.com and you'll see products. You can also go to bethbell.me and there's a fun video. You'll see my neighborhood and the rice fields and you'll meet my, my Bolly dog, Lily. She's adorable. Um, and also you can follow me on I hope that comes out. Her Instagram yeah, is at quick, Queen Bliss B. Sorry, you froze. I can just yeah. re-say it. Yeah. At Queen Bliss B. Or click. At Queen Bliss B. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Queen Bliss B. Yeah. You yeah. got it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And Catherine? So my website is makeeverythingfun.com and that's kind of a portal. It goes to the four other areas that we talked about publishing, wellness, nutrition, and entrepreneurship. Um, and I am. And also makeeverythingfun.com has all of my links to the social media. But what I'm going to do for listeners is I'm going to create a special link at makeeverythingfun.com slash Frankie. And I'll put, you know, we, we talked about that author survey and how it really helps people to avoid yeah. the money pit and have more fun. I'll put that, I'll put that up on that site so that people can download that awesome. survey. If, since we talked about it, I hate to I hate to leave people hanging and that will kind of get people some information if they're interested, if they're one of the 80% of the people that want to get a book out. You know, and if you ever need anybody to help somebody write a book, I'm there because I love helping people write their books. I think it's, you know, I got a really fun, easy formula for it. And um, I think everybody should write a book. <laughs> I really do. Um, you, I do too. You got you were trained with Marcy Shymoff. Happy for no reason. Marcy was on my show many years ago, just after her book came out. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah, I love Marcy. Marcy actually endorsed. She was the cover endorsement of my most recent book, uh, which is Make Nutrition Fun. And um, she's a, a light in my life and a mentor and friend. And she was the one actually that in, she introduced me to Carol Klein, who helped me to do a course. That's another make publishing fun course. But Marcy, yeah, her happy for no reason work, her love for no reason work, it's life changing. So if listeners have not picked up those books, run out and get them right now because she can teach you how you can actually raise your happiness point. They're sort of, they say it's a set point, mm -hmm. uh, but she interviewed over a hundred people, the happiest people on the planet and, and really has some incredible takeaways and lessons, actionable lessons that we can apply to be happier. 
I love and that. then therefore healthier. Yeah, I love that. And Beth, you, you know, you, it's more than jewelry. You've got your beautiful photographs. You've got the journal. You've got other products on your website. So definitely people go and, and visit Beth's website. It's, it's stunning and beautiful. And uh, save the bees. Save the Balinese people from the, from the volcano. It's the, the flower affirmation card. So there's actually a card deck where you can pull a card and there's a truth and an affirmation. And when people walk into the, the shop in Bali, um, we just automatically give them a, a little reading. And 90% of the people say, oh my goodness, this was exactly what I was thinking or this is what I was just focused on. So they're a really fun gift idea as well. But but a nice you know interaction with the flowers to pull pull the cards. And then, of course, the book, Flower of Power for Pure Love. Have you run into Robert Redford yet, Catherine? No. Oh. Uh, well, we have a lot of celebrities in town. We, I run into celebrities a lot here. Nice. <laughs> Reese Witherspoon was just in town. Does she? Nice. And, and, and Gwynny is coming. Oh, really? Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'd like to thank both of you for coming on the show today. And I'm sorry about the connections a little bit, but you persevered. And I love that because I'm the unstoppable. <laughs> and so we're not going to let that hold out against us, are we? Um, but lovely to have both of you. And I just love what you're both doing. I love that you have social impact on your radar because that's what I'm all about. And I hope that people will go and look at the global goals. If you haven't looked at them at, you know, globalgoals.com and just see what those 17 goals are that um, every country in the world, believe it. How did they ever do that? Every country in the world agreed to do. So I think maybe one, <laughs> there's 192 countries uh, agreed. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for having us. You're amazing. And thanks for everything you do to spread all these great messages. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm going to stay with me as we come out of Facebook. Goodbye, everybody on Facebook. (laughs) Stop that. Namaste. And I'm just going to stop.